Podcast name played nobody. Bill Sabanor. Sabanor. Charles Minnick. Charles underscore Minnick asks Saban national titles or head coaches fired in the Southeastern Conference by August 1st, 2019. My gut answer is. Saban, because we just had a glut of hires, and usually that's followed by a, a slower year. Um, usually. Usually. Not always, but we're playing the odds here. Arkansas, probably not. Auburn, you never know, but probably not. Florida, probably not. Georgia, no. Uh, Kentucky, maybe. LSU, probably not, but I guess you have to put it on the table. Ole Miss, no. Mississippi State, no. Missouri, on the table, but probably not. South Carolina, probably not. Tennessee, no. AM, no, ever. Uh, and Vanderbilt, eh, pr- quite possibly. So, so eh, maybe possibly. She just gave me Vanderbilt. You said Missouri was on the table. Kentucky. And LSU. So of those That's four, four, man. Of those four, you have to think that three of them are are, are going to be yeses. And that feels like too much. I would say two feels like the right answer here. Now, specifically what Charles has asked is fired. He did not say job changes. Right. No, which but is, I mean, those which, are the four which is a technicality. Could, yeah. Those are the four I could see um, fired. And, and I mean, Kentucky will probably still go six and six. And if they go six and six, Stoops gets to stay there his entire career if he wants. Um, it's still only year two for LSU. So I, I still lean no on that one. Missouri would need another really bad start, which is on the table, but you know, there's probably not. So no, I'm going to take think, the field, man. Okay. I'm going to take the field because this sport is really stupid sometimes. Sure. But this is podcast ain't played nobody. It's college football marriage of numbers and words. That's the robot Bill Connolly. He is the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system. He's written multiple books, which you can find on the Amazon and the brick and mortar shops. Uh, probably. I don't know. You find yeah, a brick and mortar just shop. Go get, just go to Amazon. Get, yeah. You find a physical bookstore. Just take a picture and get back to me. Uh, my name is Stephen Godfrey. At 38 Godfrey, SB Nation senior writer, uh, sometimes reporter, uh, often podcaster, it's, it seems lately. Um, you can find me at 38 Godfrey. Uh, I, I wrote it a couple things, not quite to the volume of Mr. All Done With His Previews. Uh, but this is not that show, Bill. We're not talking about Georgia and Alabama yet. What we're talking about specifically is the AP Top 25 poll. That's right. We're there. We're, we're <laughs> it's not imme- even out yet. We're talking. We're about. immediately hopping the curb and going far, far away from the from the direction in which every other college football podcast would go. Uh, we're going to talk to Ralph Russo. He is the top college football reporter writer uh, for the Associated Press. The Associated Press, if you don't know, is pretty much the uh, what the most ubiquitous, successful wire service in the world. Yeah. Um, they bring the news to pretty much everything that you read in some way, shape, or form. Um, Ralph is also, um, uh, let's just say, uh, keenly involved in the, uh, construction and the, the gathering of the AP top 25 poll every week. And so we're going to talk to him about the specifics of how the poll comes together, a couple of misconceptions. Um, and then also we'll talk just a little bit of the football just cause Bill can't resist talking about Alabama because that we're just that type of podcast. Right. And this was recorded on Wednesday, by the way. So at some point I screwed up and referred to tomorrow's Alabama preview. I think uh, in the interview you're about to hear, just keep dun, in mind dun, that dun. the preview is indeed out because it is Thursday and not Wednesday.
I think everyone will forgive you the gross continuity errors. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping. There's a stupid, stupid event in Atlanta, Georgia that uh, Bill and I are forced to attend because they kidnapped our families. It is shut down full cast live. God forbid such a thing exists in the free state of America. This is why our liberty is being restricted. Uh, it's August 31st, uh, 7 p.m. at the Rich Theater in Midtown Atlanta. Uh, tickets are... $25 and they are close to selling out. So we're going to keep uh, pimping this mainly because I haven't seen my children. Ryan nanny has them hostage, um, which, you know, honestly is probably a net loss for Ryan. Um, who's holding who hostage, honestly, especially in this about 5am hour. They're particularly ornery, uh, rich theater. You can get the tickets for the show. It's $25 for general admission, August 31st at 7pm rich theater in Atlanta, go to Eventbrite or just Google shut down full cast live it's going to be me and you uh trying to up the uh you know the quality mean is that is that a mean or median there i would say more mean right uh well yeah we'll 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 aim for mean on this one we're trying to make it not completely trash uh helping us in that effort will also be let's see richard johnson from sp nation bud elliott um holly anderson formerly of Grantland and MTV and sort of, a, I don't know, like sort of the fourth wheel S- shut down full S- cast S- person. SB Nation Emeritus, basically. Yeah. Sort of always SB Nation. Um, off the books SB Nation, let's call her. Um, and then uh, we got other guests too. I think there's going to be a couple surprises. Like the entire college football team is going to be there, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but I mean, like, like if you, hopefully we're going to try out someone that isn't just like a internet sports nerd. I don't know. I mean, I'm a TV why? star why and I'll be there. Steer, why are we going to steer out of that at the moment? But hopefully my tv stardom will will help salvage this event um at least it's in atlanta the world's greatest city hosting possibly the world's worst live events go to eventbrite uh and search shut down a full cast live Billiam, also also but, you can get but, there and i'm not lying when i say this you can get there by going to www.preownedairboats.com don't encourage their stupidity i mean they got the url bill ralph russo how long have you known Ralph? I've known Ralph for a long time. Uh, I, I'm trying to think, like, I know I, I at least talked to him in 2013 for the study hall book. I, mm-hmm. I tried to cover like all the, the general and get to know all like the, the high level college football writers at that point. So at least five years, but it feels like we were interacting before that too. Good guy. I, Real gosh. good. Guy. Yeah. I met Ralph. I think we said this the first time we had him on the show. I met Ralph because he was the associated press writer uh, for all college sports in the state of Mississippi when I was in college. So I would read his AP gamers in class and sort of like learn from them and his, his reports. And he was one of those few people back when press boxes had like accomplished folks doing beat writing. You would like, you know, people that weren't my age that I could look up to sort of how to conduct myself. By the way, I know a couple of beat writers who listen to this. I'm not disparaging your work now, sirs and ma'ams. I was just meant like, you know, that feeling when you're, when you're like 19 or 20 and you want to do a job one day and you see people that are older than you who just seem to have such a command and presence. Um, and also Ralph is just inordinately friendly and positive. I don't know how that happens in this sport. Not, I mean, no joking, not beaten down by the culture of this sport at all. And I still feel bad because a couple of years ago, I had the wife and kid in New York for Piesman weekend. We, uh, they, they both got to meet both Ralph and Nicole Auerbach now of the athletic, uh, and, and our daughter could not have cared less about Ralph being there because there was a girl writer there. Uh, and so she talked to Nicole the whole time and just completely disregarded Ralph. And I feel bad. Gender politics, man. I'm telling you identity politics, what this 
country's going to. Um, all right. Well, without further ado, Bill, let's pop in the time machine and talk to Ralph Russo. Let's do it. Bill, with the sheer volume of the quietest offseason and ever just dying in a fiery, fiery blast, um, we thought it best to bring on Ralph Russo. He is the senior college football, national college football writer. I will throw as many plaudits as I can on the man. He sort of is the hand that directs what goes on with the Associated Press's coverage of college football. And aside from being a stand-up human being, the nicest Mets fan I know, maybe the only nice Mets fan I know, uh, Ralph also has a volume of experience dealing with these type of moments that we find ourselves in bill, which is just a unprecedented amount of yeah, bad national coverage, <laughs> bad things happening uh, all at once. So Ralph, welcome to the show. And um, a couple of weeks ago, we said it was going to be the quietest off season ever. Um, so we are sorry to you and your family about that. <laughs> yeah. So it was your fault. You guys who jinxed it. I mean, it was, it was rolling along pretty nicely and I had sort of been, saying the same thing but hedging my bets thinking okay we've got the camp now once we get to you know uh-huh. open and we should be okay uh you know I, it's funny i did a fine bomb appearance i want to say you know like june late june maybe early july late june and um yeah we were talking about sort of nothing going on and how <laughs> but we always but i also said you know we always have one of these sort of pop-up scandals that brooms out at least one coach. We've been averaging about one a year for the last five or six years. Some of them are really monumental, like, uh, like, you know, Baylor and some of them are a little less so, but, um, so I, I kind of cautioned even then, like, you know, be prepared because we get right. about one of these a year. Um, it's actually, I, I was going through of all things, uh, old, old personal Gmail and a Google photos app. When I realized that I was in Mississippi roughly about this time, a couple of weeks ago last year for when Hugh freeze got fired. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I, again, I think I made a joke on the podcast. We, you know, it's never exactly the same thing, right. In terms of the timing in the off season or, or the particular scandal. But I just, we joked and said, there's gotta be something strange like this. That's, um, I think it actually was all born out of the fact that we said, wow, uh, going to be a quiet year in the coaching carousel, which is always now officially the worst thing we can say. In fact, let me ask you something. When is the last time you could officially say an entire uh, 12 month cycle of coaching higher and fires in college football was quiet? Well, I, I would have to, I would literally have to go back and look like, I, the yeah. last, you know, the last, cause the last couple, and, and this is a good example, right? The la- last year was supposed to be a quote unquote quiet year. I mean, it, it sort of laid out that there was a, a fair amount of changes the year before. It didn't look like any huge jobs were going to open up or at least not, you know, they weren't so obvious. I'm, you know, I'm not running through my head of what opened up last year and you ended up with some bigger jobs and certainly a lot in the SEC opened up. But, you know, I think last year we sort of thought, oh, this might not be too crazy. And it, and it ended up being so. So I, I think at this point you can sort of, assume it's going to be worse than whatever you think it's going to be. So if you think it's going to be quiet, it's not, it's going to be whatever one step above quiet is. If you think it's going to be crazy, it's going to be freaking nuts. Uh, Just just, just readjust everything. One, one step up from coaching carousel from quiet off season. Okay. So let's go through the logistics real fast. You have, um, multiple, I mean, scandals is sort of a a blanket lazy term, but I really don't know what else to call them. You have Maryland, you have 
uh, Ohio state. And I'm not trying to like rank by caliber of severity or anything, but then you also have more of your rank and file issues with North Carolina and Michigan with the shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, at the associated press, because the associated press, and maybe you, uh, you can explain this to, to listeners who, who often sort of take that AP byline for granted, the AP is, is ubiquitous quality and that you sort of chronicle everything, right? Mm-hmm. And you are the arm that reaches out into every story to better assist both other newspapers, other, other news services now in 2018. It's not so much about filling, it used to be about filling uh, local papers with national content, right? And now it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's literally AP content on your phone. If I check a, when I check, um, a scoring app on my phone and I want the gamer of a, of a hockey or a baseball game, it's the associated press. Right. So how do you guys divvy up basically, especially when it all happens at once like this? Yeah. And I, and I gotta, I gotta stress this. Like, it, you know, my job in, entails a lot and I have a pretty far reach, but I do, but I do not do this alone. <laughs> and, and there are a lot of very fine people around the country who cover things locally. So we have, a fine writer in Mitch Stacy who covers Ohio State. We have a mm-hmm. fine person down in the Baltimore area who covers uh, Dave Ginsburg, who covers Maryland. Where it gets tricky for us and for our writers is a, a guy like, and I'll, again, Dave Ginsburg in Maryland also covers the Orioles and the Ravens. Oh, wow. Um, so he's got a lot of juggling and prioritizing. So this is a brutal, I mean, honestly, in terms of all joking aside, in terms of a a time of year to try and give this as much attention as you can and Mm -hmm. report it out. If you're in camp with the Ravens and in the middle of the season with the Orioles, the Orioles, you know, not the best team, but still they're playing baseball. Like that's brutal. Right. And we can, and, and those guys can farm out some of their workload to stringers and we can maybe move some people around depending on the region. You know, we have people in DC, so maybe, Hey, we have some Ravens things going on at the same time as this big Maryland story. Can somebody slide over from DC for a day, even though they have Redskins? Um, so it's a lot of moving parks. And again, you get, you get freelancers and stringers involved to cover maybe the, the more mundane thing. Mm-hmm. But getting back to what I do, like my job is to basically sort of be support to the people who are local, especially when the stories get really big, like Ohio state and Maryland, because I might have sourcing that's sort of on a national scale that Mm -hmm. they might not have locally. right? Right. I might be more plugged into an agent, a lawyer, someone who's working this, this situation who has also worked other scandals, right? Because a lot of times the same people, be it an agent, a lawyer, you know, maybe a PR person is weighing it or is it involved in, in scandal X because they were also, because they're just good at it. This is what they do for a living. So I may have had some contact with that person from someplace else. So I may have a source that can help us with Ohio state that my, our writer in, in Columbus might not have, but he may be better plugged in on a local level. So my job is to sort of get involved at the, when, when things really hit the fan at a place like Ohio state or Maryland and, and help where I can. Sometimes I may be a little more, a little ineffectual. Like, you know, I think old miss last year was a good example where our local guy, David Brandt seemed to have a pretty good handle on things. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, he was pretty well plugged in with. So, now I was helping on some level because, hey, 
why not? You know, Hey, like, you know, he may have been at Mississippi state a day. So, Hey, can I give a call to someone? I know people at Ole Miss too. So I'm always there to sort of be involved. How much my involvement is determined by the nature of the scandal, how big a story and how much assistance I can provide with my sources. Um, this is a high, high level inside baseball, but I know people are interested because of how the AP functions and because again of your ubiquity. So there's something in journalism we call the gamer. Okay. Which is the definitive record of the story uh, of, of, about the game and as, and as complex and as, and as weird as the media landscape gets, as we advance through all these different kinds of technology, there is a necessary reliable chronicle of the game. How many gamers have you written in your day? And, and I guess maybe explain what a gamer is exactly. Yeah, I, listen, right. It's just, it's just, hey, what happened in this game and why it's significant. That I always try to, when I, when I talk to younger people who are coming up in journalism, I always try to tell them this job is pretty simple. We write what happens. Yeah. Um, so a gamer is, you know, what happens. But, but I think the, the big difference and the shift in the time I've been in the business, and, you know, I'm not that old, but I've been in this business for about 20 years, is that we now want to, focus more on the why and what it means going forward as opposed to what actually happened because most people have already seen what happened you want to give a taste of what happened but the, it's more of the why and the how and the effect going forward in a gamer so yeah i mean it's it's literally like hey i'm watching this game i'm writing while i'm watching i'm trying to forecast ahead where this might be going and what might be relevant as soon as the game ends I kick my ass into gear and try to file something within 10 minutes. That could be, you know, and I think there's still a relevance with the AP gamer. I think gamers have become um, less necessary on many platforms. I think what the AP still provides is what you referred to earlier is that I think still people on their, you know, when they're away from the game, they can't maybe, they couldn't have seen it, want to be able to quickly pop onto their phone, catch a score and maybe read through. So, that might not be poetry, but I think there's still like a necessary, uh, the, the, the gamer that EAP provides is still providing like a necessary service. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So we, though we still want to try to be like a little more in depth and a little more forward looking than maybe, you know, we used to be 10 or 15 years ago. And as far as I, how many I've written, you know, it's funny, Stephen, because I've covered mostly college football through my career, mm-hmm. like probably not like I, I'm, I'm sure I've, I've written easily hundreds and maybe it's maybe it's touching a thousand or so. But because of the nature of the sport that I've covered most being once a week, not nearly as many as you might think. I, I'm okay. thinking, yeah, it, it, uh, you know, I've, I've covered some baseball I've done. I, I don't think I've ever covered an NFL game. Thank God. Um, <laughs> Lucky man. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. My father for years would ask me, why don't you want to cover the NFL? And I'd be like, why would I want to cover the NFL? Like as bad as the NFL, as bad as college football scandals are, nothing is dumber than NFL scandals, right? Or or (laughs) controversies. Like just look at what's going on right now with the NFL. Like like as horrible as it is to cover something like what's going on at Maryland and as tricky as it is to cover with something that's going on at Ohio state, I mean, it's just stupid what's going on in the NFL as far as controversies. College football uh, has the anthem play before the players come out. So that's one thing we don't have to worry about. Ah, yes. It's so easy um, to do this. Right? All right. Fastest you've ever written a story. <laughs> Fastest you've ever done it. 
Because uh, I've seen you do this. I'm trying to bring people in here. I've literally, I, I'm the guy who's like, how am I going to do this obtuse, creative, super bizarre, uniquely SB Nation take that's going to take me 48 hours and have something on Monday morning that's fresh and weird? You are banging out copy that is authoritative and <laughs> informative immediately. What's the fastest you've ever done it? Because I've seen you type. I mean, you know, last year's national championship game, and I am not nearly as fast as some of my colleagues. Last year's national championship game was pretty hairy and I was going pretty good. And I've always said that the best thing that can happen with a strange game, it sounds very weird, but when the, when the things are really like hectic and dramatic down the stretch, going to overtime is really not the worst thing because you get a chance to like, okay, take a breath. What have I had? And now whatever happened in the first quarter and the first half, and maybe even in the third quarter, just forget about that. All that stuff. <laughs> right. is meaningless. Now all that's really matters is what happens now, what happens right now. Last year was pretty fast. You know, I, I'm thinking back to one. I don't know why this one sort of comes to mind, but when I was back working in Mississippi and it was a day I covered two games in one day, I covered Vanderbilt and Ole Miss in Oxford they had like an 11, the JP kickoff uh-huh. and then Mississippi state and BYU. This might've been, this was 2001. So it was the extra yep. week of the season that nine 11 had mm. uh, caused. So then old Mississippi state and BYU were doing like an 8 PM kickoff. So nine Eastern on ESPN um, and Mississippi state was bad, but BYU was good. And both of those games were nuts. They were both late game, like late determined late tons of scoring. And I just remember like just writing super fast that day, like the, the, the Mississippi, the, the old miss game I was writing really, really fast because I had to get the hell out of that press box and go to, go to Starkville. And then the other one, because it was a big game involving an undefeated BYU team and it ended kind of crazy uh, late and going super fast on that one too. Maybe I was just in the mode in the, in, in the, in, in the, in fast mode that day. Yeah. That's like 95 really, miles really, by the way. Yeah. I was really, really chugging. And I also got pulled over for speeding. Ah, that's what I was going to ask. Cause it's a 95 mile drive. It's all back roads and yeah. it is not, it takes you about two hours. Yeah. And it's, and this is 2001. It's, it's, it's probably better now. Um, I got yeah. pulled for speeding told the, the, I think it was a local cop, not a trooper. And I told him what I was doing and he didn't give me a ticket. <laughs> you, well, you had a higher cause. Well done. Uh, so, I mean, you have been uh, uh, at this for a while now. Um, I, I promise you that wasn't a way of trying to call you old or anything, right. but, um, but you, it, it, it's been a while. And I noticed with a lot of, football writers in general, but college football writers, especially like after a while, you kind of grow sour with the sport. Um, I was uh, digging up. I'm writing tomorrow's Alabama preview, the the last preview in the, in the uh, series. And so I was scrolling back to early January content. I was looking for a piece I wrote about the t- national title game. And I stumbled across a PAPN uh, where we got, where Godfrey, you know, just did his time in Mississippi and all that. And it was just basically like, uh, I, I think he especially was pretty burnt out at that point in time uh, with the sport in general. Hopefully yes. we've, re- we've refreshed that a little bit this off season. I don't know. Feeling but um, but like Dan Jenkins, one of the best college football writers of all time, grew to hate college football by like the late seventies. How how do you avoid that kind of burnout, knowing that you have to write about anything newsworthy over you know in season or off season? 
how, what, what are your steps, so to speak, to, to kind of avoiding that burnout and, and keeping the sport fresh, so to speak? Yeah, I think it goes back to something. And maybe I've been I've been tw- I've tweeted this a couple of times in the last week. And maybe I'm trying I'm tweeting to myself. I'm literally <laughs> might be doing like self-therapy and trying to convince myself. Um, listen, it's very interesting to cover the scandals and the news part of it. And there's, you know, the trials and tribulations, literally trials sometimes. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's there. We're at a moment where I must admit, like, I, I this sounds a little existential. Like you, you do kind of take a step back and go, do I really want to be part of this enterprise? <laughs> um, but the, the players in the games, I, like the, the, the and I, I know this is going to sound like terribly like syrupy and to a certain extent naive, like the, well, first of all, the games are spectacular, Yeah. <laughs> whether they're live or on TV, just the events are just mind bogglingly spectacular. And the players are, are superheroes, uh, you know, and this is, this goes for pro sports too, to a certain degree. This is why I'm drawn to sports, right? Because mm-hmm. I think to a certain degree, I hope we're drawn to sports because you're literally looking at Avengers. Right. Um, but also just the, the kids and I, now I can say kids. Cause again, I'm 20 years older than most of them or 30 years older actually than most of them. Like you find a lot of goodness within the players, right? You, you talk to like, I did a, a piece recently on, uh, Kyle Williams is a slot receiver from Arizona state who is like training to be a surgeon while he's not playing wide receiver at Arizona state. And Justin Jackson, like the running back from uh, Northwestern who's now in the NFL, you know, super smart kid. He lost his mother when he was about nine or 10 years old. And like, you talk to some of these, so, so many of these guys, I think there's such like this, 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 sort of cliche jock, dumb jock attitude, but you talk to so many of the players and they're like kind of inspirational. They're maybe first generation college. It's just, there's just a lot to like about mm-hmm. the players. So between the yeah. players and the games, you're sort of drawn to this thing. And then you look at all the bureaucracy behind it and the adults. So what I've tweeted a couple of times is like, listen, remember the adults more often than not are the problem. <laughs> that's a really good way of putting yeah, yeah. That's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah. And I mean, I think I, I end up consoling myself by almost getting extra cynical or something by, by reminding myself that as, as bad as some of the people in charge of the sport are, and as hard as it makes it to like sometimes anything else that you, that is worth really enjoying and liking has the same terrible people at the top of the sport. Like you have to, that's not, that's not encouraging necessarily, but I mean, I'd burn out if I went all in on like music too, I'm sure. So it's just pick your poison, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You have to sort of be able to, to a certain degree, separate uh, the players in the games from the bureaucracy and the enterprise. Uh, You know, and listen, I also should say this, like I know a lot of people who I, harshly disagree with as far as the nature of college sports and without getting too much into the amateurism thing. And, um, but I still think that they're, that they're decent people. Um, and many of which you have the right, they may be true believers on the wrong path, but they have their hearts in the right place. Uh, so you can sort of see why, oh, this is what, this is the nobility of this enterprise that they are trying to achieve. 
I, I, again, I don't necessarily agree with the means with which they're trying to achieve it. And I think that there are some lost souls as far as where they're heading, but, um, but they mean well, so you can take some solace in that. I gotta hang out with Ralph more often. <laughs> um, all right, Mr. Russo, you are a part of this terrible, heinous entity called the AP Top 25 poll, <laughs> um, which you know is responsible for everything that's bad in college football, except that it's literally just a poll. It does not have uh, any massive hand or bearing or conspiracy or you name it. Um, what is your favorite memory? Off, and by the way, the AP poll has not come out yet, correct? August 20th. Okay. So, you know, when you're listening, August 20th at noon Eastern, ah. we are always last. We like to be last because, um, you know, it gives our voters a little more chance to get some information, but it also gives us a little bit of pop at the end. Okay. Uh, so let's start there. Explain how it, it comes together roughly. You don't have to get too intricate. Um, and uh, we'll kind of take it from there because a lot of people ask a lot of questions about the polls and they do uh, lend themselves to a lot of conspiracy theories right now. Sure, sure. Number one is I don't vote. Um, No AP employee votes. We coordinate and manage the poll. We pick the voters out of media members from around the country. Mm -hmm. 61 voters. We try to balance the country. So if if you have the, the states with more FBS teams will have more voters. I think the ratio is three to one. For every three FBS teams, you get one voter. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So one to three is one, three to six is two. Um, so again, it, this is not now, this is not scientific polling. The AP does scientific polling when it comes to politics and things like this, this is not scientific. So I understand that we are just making educated guesses and putting out a list, but I will give you my spiel. This is my spiel on the poll. Um, I think it's a good spiel, but it is still a spiel because I, I use it all the time. Sure. The AP poll is the one thing that connects the history of college football. Yep. Everything else changes, right? And even the way the AP poll has been put together has changed somewhat, but at least it gives a reference point that someone in 2018 can sort of look back to 1968 and, and draw something of a line connecting like, oh, the last time so-and-so was, had a season this good was, look at the polls, oh, 1997. That was the last time they were ranked this high. So I think it will always provide value in college football for that reason. Because listen, in 12, in, in, in eight years, we're going to have a new playoff system, right? We're right. Gonna have, and we may have automatic bids and the whole playoff ranking thing is going to go out the window, right? But the AP poll is the one thing that has stayed somewhat constant. That's a really good spiel, Ralph. It's, it's solid, right? I mean, I practice it a lot. I use that a lot because I get that question a lot because the question is like, are we still relevant? And I'm not a fool. No, we're not as relevant as we used to be. Of course not. I mean, but there is still a relevancy to being the one who ranks them at the end, right? The, the, the playoff rankings aren't doing that. And if you go ask the, the school that finished eighth, that's a big deal, right? That's going to be on all their media guides, right? If you don't think it's big deal for UCF to have finished, I think it was seventh last year. I need to check, but I think it was either sixth or seventh last year. That's a big damn deal. So the fact that no, now we have a champion and we don't care about the rest of them. Oh, there's a lot of people who care about the rest of them. (laughs) Yeah. Why why did they finish seventh? They won the national title. I'm confused. (laughs) Yeah, no, there's Um, no doubt that, you know, the, 
well, I mean, number one, when we're looking at the big games from week to week, uh, at least, you know, at the end of the season, we kind of know national title implications, but when we're scrolling through, we're seeing, Oh, Hey, number nine versus 18, uh, number 13 versus nine. Like that's almost what you look at instead of the names themselves. But, um, that is one thing I think one perspective, I think I enjoy about writing all these previews too, is just that you do like finishing 16th is really big for some teams. Um, and Bill, you're a historian to a certain degree. I mean, you literally wrote a book about the greatest games of all time. Like where would you have been with that to a certain degree? If you're sort of flying blind here, right. And there is no like number two and number six next to those teams. Right. Right. I mean, this, cause, it, cause it, maybe it doesn't necessarily give a definitive representation of how good those teams were at the time. Clearly, again, we're sort of guessing here, but nonetheless, it gives you a, a definition of the perception of how big that game was, right? You know, if it was army Notre Dame one versus two, because it was one versus two at that moment, that was a huge game. Right. And it does circle back to reemphasize a point that I try to, well, that this episode, that this podcast is kind of uh, emblematic of too. And it's that, you know, the whole cow is worth eating and that, you know, the national title race is great, but um, the sport still means something to a whole bunch of fans and a whole bunch of teams that aren't going to win the national title. And so it does kind of reaffirm that there's, there are different levels of success. So hooray, hooray people. <laughs> I think Bill just equated ULM to chitlins. And I'm fine <laughs> that's with that's that. fine. That's fine. Uh, uh, Ralph Somebody has to be the oxtail too. Hey, man, oxtail's delicious. Uh, Ralph, Ooh, if I was never that southern, <laughs> my, four years down there did not did, did not quite do it. We'll get you there. Uh, let's say there's a nuclear blast and uh, a lot of the population's wiped out, and so us disreputable people at SB Nation have to become Associated Press voters. In this scenario. Walk me through, like, how how much time do you have to file your ballots um, based on everything that happened Saturday, time to digest it? Obviously, none of us, even those of us like Bill, who sort of is wired into the matrix every Saturday, you don't see everything as much as you want to try. Yeah, and, and we listen, and this was where transparency comes in, and you, uh, you yeah. try to make people understand that, like, I, I, listen, uh, I know our folks, the 61 voters, I don't know every single one of their habits and, 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 and how they go about it. And mm -hmm. I know a lot of them are in press boxes all day covering their team, but I've talked to enough of them to know that this is sort of like a typical, a, a typical um, mechanics of how they do that, how they do it. I will hear at the end, once I'm done with my game, if I have a day game, I will try to, so I'm talking as a voter here, I will try as best I can to watch the night games pop around and keep my, or if I, or, or if the opposite, if I have a day, if I have a night game, I will do the best I can to sort of watch the early games. It's a little harder when you have a night game because you sort of need to be at the stadium earlier and plugged into your own team. After games are over, after my work is done for the day, I will sit down no matter how, and I know guys who, and gals who do this at, you know, starting at midnight, one in the morning or get a couple of hours of sleep get up at five or six in the morning, seven in the morning, and, and try to go through all the scores, watch all the highlight shows, try to read up on some gamers and things like that, certainly from the big games, if there's any replays on. Just try to consume as much information as possible. 
work off a list that I had last week that probably goes more than 25. So I'm ranking down to 25 plus, and maybe the the next 10 are just a jumble. Maybe the next 10 are in order. And we start moving teams around depending on the results. Our, our current deadline for getting the ballot in is 11 a.m. Eastern. Um, it's a, we, we provide a little wiggle room these days because we, we don't, we don't release the poll until 2 PM Eastern, um, on Sunday, I'm sorry, on Sundays. So it's a lot of work. I mean, I, I always tell voters like, listen, like, you know, if they make a mistake or they're late or something like that, I, I try not to be, you know, if I'm the one tracking them down, a lot of times we have other people who track down. I try to be really like use kid gloves here. These people are volunteering to add essentially two to six hours more of work on their daily week, weekly routine. So we try to be like, Hey man, like if, if you can please get it in as soon as you can, or, Hey, you made a mistake here. We try to work with them as best as possible. But I know that like two to four hours is sort of almost minimum. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's actually more than uh, I would have figured it was an earlier deadline than that. So that's a little, a little more wiggle room, I guess. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to make an assumption. Obviously there's more than one option for a number one team this year. Um, but I'm going to bet that Alabama starts the year as preseason number one for what is that? The third straight year, I guess. Um, fourth, third or fourth. It, it would be, it would, it would be third if that okay. were to happen. Okay. So Six, 16th, I believe. So yeah. <laughs> it only so, seems like every year. Oh my gosh. So when I was writing the, my Alabama preview though, like one thing I noticed was like, I don't know. I, I kept flashing back to the end of last year where I, I had all these thoughts of, you know, okay, well Alabama won and it was awesome. It was really fun the way it all ended. Um, but when the end comes for Nick Saban, it, it, it'll kind of come like that. You lose more and more coordinators and eventually there's a usurper that gets the job done. Um, so how many, we, we've had this game all summer uh, with, with view, uh, listeners basically dialing in and asking like uh, an over under Saban national titles or X. Um, and we've kind of had in our heads that that over under is, is about two and a half uh, that he has another two or three titles in him. It, it, where do you fall on that? Is that, does that feel like too many? Do you think the ship just keeps right on sailing, even though last year was a little dicey and then he got out recruited and all that? Like, where do you fall in terms of future saving titles? I mean, that sounds pretty good. If you, if you, if you throw out 2007 as like your, to use your term, which I love and I steal all the time as a year zero, mm-hmm. um, since 2008, he's won five. So that's basically like every other year. <laughs> So if he's probably, I, I, I can see another five years. I know the contract extension goes out a little farther than that. Um, uh, I think it goes to six years, right. To, to through 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I see no reason to think like half of those titles will be his. So, t- you know, two and a half is a strong number. If I was, if you were making odds, because I think you can get a lot of play on that, but I, I, I could, I think I would nail I think I would, would go the over on that <laughs> thinking that he'll win three. Okay. And that it, let's from the length of his contract, just simply say he'll win every other one or he'll win half of the titles. Cause that's what he's done so far. He'll go three. That's a, it's a tough one. Cause two or three, obviously that's a, that's a good, the two and a half is a good margin there. But um, yeah, I would, I would, sl- I would go with three. Yeah. I felt like, um, 
it would have felt more like the last throws, so to speak, had it not been a true freshman throwing a true freshman uh, to, you know, to bail out uh, Alabama in the end, all three of those freshman receivers caught big passes. It was a freshman quarterback throwing them in the second half. So it does feel like we, we saw the future and, and it was pretty impressive. Here's but, the thing. Here's the thing, Bill and Steven, they shouldn't have won last year. Last right, year, right. last year was the one somebody uh, should have gotten. You could have argued they shouldn't have been in. You could have argued they should have lost. You know, they should have lost to Georgia. Like that was the year that they were ready to be had. Like, and yeah. by had, I mean just not win the national championship. They stole that one last year. It was not a year that they should have won the national championship. And they got it anyway. Right. Ralph, I, I can hear something in the distance from Nashville and it's the entire state of Louisiana screaming about 2011. Yeah. Yeah, no, they've, it is funny to think about. I mean, even the Patriots, like that's a dynasty, so to speak at the NFL level, but like every Super Bowl win they have is three points. Sorry, Godfrey. I, I bill um, bill. Seriously, <laughs> bill. But like, you know, even, <laughs> even the quote unquote dynasties require a decent amount of luck. And, um, it is impressive to think about like as, as, as amazing as they've been as consistently awesome as they've been really only Bobby Bowden's Florida state can match their like mm-hmm. decade long consistency. They've still been like a bouncer, a, a fluke away from three or right. four of those national titles, which just speaks to the idea that you just, the, 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 the goal is not to win it. The goal is to have a chance to right. win it. And they are the only program that has been built so well that they literally have a chance to win it every single year. And that's the amazing thing about what Saban has done. Ralph, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your transparency. Um, We will do our best to tamp down as many of the conspiracy theories as possible. (laughs) They're highly entertaining involving the AP poll this year. I'll let you know. Please send me all my way on Twitter. If they're highly entertaining, I'm just going to do a heel turn and say that Ralph's orchestrating all this behind the scenes. Um, but you know, other than that, um, again, we thank you for your time. Uh, where can people find you? Where's the best way to consume your content? Um, well, I always say the AP is sort of everywhere and nowhere, but collegefootball.ap.org is usually a good place to find my stories. And I will pop my podcast. If you want to listen to me, occasionally the two hosts here have been on and probably maybe should be on again soon. Uh, AP top 25 college football podcast on, uh, Apple podcasts and podcast one. Awesome. And I will say this about that AP site. For those of you who are looking to get that information, it is clean. It loads quickly. It's easy to navigate. We have a lot of friends in the college football industry with a lot of, a lot of colleagues at different other websites. We don't always say that about their websites. (laughs) Um, Looking at you staples. All right. um, Ralph, we thank you for your time. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Well, I mean, hopefully that dispelled some conspiracy theories that, you know, sure. The AP, Cabal gets together every weekend and decides like, you know, Oh, we're going to put six SEC teams in front of the ACC or whatever your crap theory is this week. Because that's what we know about conspiracy theories is when presented with facts, they disappear Mm -hmm. forever. Um, That's a hell of a turnaround. I don't even think SB nation could organize something like that to have that many people out in the wild, trying to consume that information at that speed at that rate, and then get it all together and factor it out into a poll. I think that's really, really impressive. Um, also I like that. I, I honestly really do appreciate Ralph when he just steers right into it. And people always say, well, like, how can you, how can you know everything? Well, no one can know everything. No one can. I mean, I've asked you this a hundred times on the podcast about how much you can consume and genuinely spit out 
knowledgeably about a college football weekend come Sunday night or Monday morning. And no, I mean, no one can do it all. It's, it's just not possible. So there is inherent bias and there is subjectivity. And I don't know. I just, I feel like it's silly to, uh, to shy away from that college football. is a, it's a weird, weird sport. And this is the best thing that we can come up with. Yeah. And I mean, it's so much better than it used to be when, uh, like say in the mid to late thirties, when the poll came into existence, uh, nobody saw more than one game. Uh, nobody had probably access to, or any sort of knowledge of more than about three games that happened that weekend. So basically everybody from each region was ranking the teams in their region mm-hmm. and then like Notre Dame basically. And so, uh, I think the, the voters are more informed now than they used to be. And I do love that it is no longer, associated with the actual national title race, because that was kind of a conflict of interest. Uh, it, it did make regional biases and blah, 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 more important because it was impacting the overall picture. Uh, and now they could just go back to being what they were originally kind of intended to be. And, and so everybody wins there. I think, I think, um, I'm trying to think the last time someone really waged war using that while we won the AP national championship. The USC LSU debate comes to mind right away. Mm-hmm. That's 2003, four, uh, three. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I think it's a good thing that they've recused themselves. Um, I really also like what Ross said about the fact that it's sort of a historical document now. And, um, we didn't really get into this. It doesn't really need to get into it, but I mean, it's not like the coach's poll is scientific. No, and, and the, the, it's better now that there is a, a committee and I hate saying those words cause I kind of hate the committee too, but, um, the what happened when the AP poll recused itself from the BCS rankings is that they went to the Harris poll, which was terrible. Um, so everybody in the short term, we nobody won from the AP removing itself, but in the long term, now we're we're good again. All right, Bill. Ask PAPN. Hashtag Ask PAPN. You can always ask your questions with hashtag Ask PAPN on the Twitters, where you can visit Reddit slash podcast name play nobody. That's R slash PAPN. Uh, those are the two places from which we call these educated queries. Bill, very educated question here from Conglossian. That's okay. the best I can do with that, sure. guys. I know when you design a Reddit username, you're not thinking about it being pronounced, but. All right, Conglossian. If it's wrong, it's your fault. Uh, no ACC coach has been fired since Mike London and Scott Schaefer in November of 2015. <laughs> Is that right? Wow. Wow. Uh, can you handicap the top coach is most likely to be the next one fired slash forced to resign? When would you envision that happening? Um, yeah, so 2015 I, I, this, was a huge fire, uh, hiring year for the Yeah. Agency. And so that's probably... This is just like the thing we talked about with um, kind of the Pac-12 having that that, that curve no, uh, exactly that. Yeah. of money, basically. A, a bunch of money came in. They made a bunch of non-traditional out-of-geography hires. And then they started firing those guys like eh, three to four right, years they, All those hires, like so many of those hires worked out really well at first, which is why the Pac-12 was kind of the second best conference for a while, not very long ago. They but didn't fire people for a while. Yeah, and the ACC basically... It all, I say, I've said it a million times in this show. It all comes back to hiring. Um, and I mean, Cutcliffe getting hired by Duke a long time ago, suddenly made the worst program in the conference competitive, which is a hell of a thing to do. But no, if we're looking now, uh, two years after that, that, that big load of, of hires, I mean, obviously the Paul Johnson, Georgia tech thing is never going to be healthy. I mean, who knows if he's a firing candidate or he retires or, you know, takes the Citadel job as we discussed previously. 
Um, but you know, Steve Adazio, I think he's going to have a pretty good team, but if he ever doesn't, maybe he, maybe he's used up all of his get out of jail free cards. Um, and so he's probably at least relatively close to the line. Clemson, no Duke, no Florida state, no Georgia tech, maybe Louisville per, uh, God, I don't even, um, probably not. Probably uh, not. Uh, unless there's a off field component, right? Miami, no North Carolina uh, on the table, uh, NC state, probably not at least for a couple of years. Uh, if they take a downturn, I don't think they will, uh, Pitt, Pitt is pro- no, cause he's got the wins. Um, and I think they'll be pretty solid this year, but he hasn't lit the world afire. He might be a little closer to that line than we think. Uh, Wait, I know we did. I know we talked to Pitt a couple episodes ago, but they were lopsided on one side of the ball last year. Right. They're experienced, um, efficient on offense. Was that right? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, I believe that's right. They, well, they, I mean, they had the freshman quarterback at the end of the year and he's back. Um, still be Miami. Right. And, and, yeah. That's what it is. They, I, I think they finally have an experienced defense is what it was because they, they, he's been really struggling on that side of the ball to get all the right pieces in the right places. But anyway, he's probably safe. And if we're talking about like this coming year, Syracuse safe for at least one more year before the heat picks up there, Virginia, yeah. third year, probably safe. Virginia, a, but there, I mean, all these without going through the whole list, what, you know what I'm seeing here? It, it's, it's, it's a lot of really smart hires yeah. similar to what the PAC 12 did five years ago. Now, some of those hires turned out not to be smart. They all had very unique problems. Uh, not all of them. I'm sorry, but the, the ones that didn't work out, the two Arizona schools, Cal, um, possibly Wazoo this year. Um, I'm not saying all these, somebody's going to get fired. So we have to answer this yeah, somebody question. Has to lose. Um, somebody has to lose games. Um, and I would say North Carolina is probably the most likely, although they it really, might be Larry Fedora, which is yeah. crazy to think about how much, how much work that dude put in and how stabilizing a force he was during the NCAA stuff. And then I, he was also, he's a good ball coach too. Like yeah, no, I and he's, that phrase, he's but. fine. I mean, he's, I, I still think they have a very good chance. Cause I mean, basically like they were top 30 through 2016. And then last year they both went through a rebuild and got destroyed by injuries and fell to three and nine. That doesn't mean they're suddenly a three and nine program. It just means they had a bad year last year. He'll have every opportunity to get it back. Um, but somebody has to lose games and eventually that'll cost you your job. Even if you're, uh, you know, improving the infrastructure of the program. So we'll see. Maybe Adazio. Yep. Maybe Adazio. I mean, I can basically talk myself into any of these teams in this conference playing at a top 40 or 50 level this year, but somebody won't obviously. And um, the next time Adazio doesn't, he actually, he could actually be in trouble. Um, you know, I always want to talk about David Cuckoo for tiring, but I think he, he had another contract extension either this year or last. So I don't know, man. I know that doesn't count as a firing. This is a really good question because this is really hard to answer. Yeah. Are you going to go with Fedora? Yeah, I'd say that's, I mean, again, I'm not predicting. I'm going to go with Dazio just okay. because I feel like. It's possible. Fedora might have enough in the long view at North Carolina where they, where they understand how much he did. But I mean, if they really suck this year, then right. you're yeah, looking at a pretty, pretty pronounced downward trend. Yeah, no, I don't think they will, but it is possible that they will. Um, here's a question. Maybe this is the question we should have, we should have steered off of Saban or and gone with this one instead. I like it. Um, uh, Matt at Red Sox M Texas. Okay. Uh, if Saban said I'm coaching for six more years and I want to challenge myself, what is the lowest prestige school he could win a title at? I love this question. Cause I always, you know, 
I, you know, as I get more and more into European soccer and th- stuff, guys like Pep Guardiola um, and, and all, all the kind of top level coaches, they just bounce back and forth between like the rich clubs. And I would love for a Pep, Pep Guardiola to go to like Sheffield Wednesday to just kind of see like, what, what can you do when you're not starting off with billions of dollars and all the talent? Um, and, okay. Hang on. I got to build, a, I got I to gotta construct a, I got to construct the scenario here. Yeah. He leaves immediately, goes to another program immediately. Has how many years program? And he's got, and he's given himself six years to win a national title. Basically is the scenario. Okay. Well, right off the bat, regardless of what Nick Saban does, Nick Saban, the greatest college football coach alive and possibly ever, it doesn't change what's going on with the playoff. So eliminate your G fives right away. I don't know if there's a G five that, that Saban even, even running the table undefeated could I, get into the playoff conversation with because, well, because we are talking about humans here. If Nick Saban went to a USF or a UCF, um, he would, he personally would have the clout to get them there, but okay. Have- all right. So in the rules of this universe, I think we're, we're constructing lore. At Saban this point. trumps the G five. It's the Saban <laughs> who's won all the national titles. Right. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, okay. it, it, this happened in real life tomorrow. Nick Saban said, I'm leaving to take the UCF. Job. Okay. All right. Well, all right. Then let's, we're going to two part this question. First, all right. He goes to G five, show me the G five job. And then I've got to find you the year in which they do it okay. real quick on the schedule. Houston. Well, you have to, okay. You have to run the table mm-hmm. flat out. Um, I can just looking at, we know what Houston's conference schedule is going to be for the time being. Um, this is in, again, in the universe, in our lore, this is like being a dungeon master or something in a freaking role-playing game. Uh, we're not considering realignment. Okay. Let's just, uh, just so my brain doesn't explode trying to do this. In 2019, Houston is at OU Wazoo at home at North Texas. They have a slot to fill there. 2020 Rice Wazoo North Texas BYU. 2021 Boise Rice Texas Tech Vanderbilt. 2022 is no better UTSA Texas Tech Kansas Rice. Don't think it matters. He's saving. He gets all the doubts that you Dude. have about all the doubts that you have that the committee always has about G five teams. They haven't played anybody. Haven't done this. Saban will carry that weight. It's like when Houston goes 13 and one, one year and then gets the benefit of that out the next year, it carries over and his clout would carry over too. All right. Here's a better question without breaking down Houston's roster. Um, why'd you pick Houston by the way? Uh, Cause I'd already said UCF and USF and that's probably the third most likely out of the G five. All right. Well, let's fire hypo real fast before we continue on this line. Sorry, sorry. I mean, I, this is just not a great argument. So Hashtag far. Bias, res- you didn't want to fire Charlie strong. Cause you like him. Me? Yes. Well, no, I think the reason why I said UCF is I think they have a better non-conference schedule. Oh, not wow. really, by the way, I am lying. Yeah. They haven't first off. They're lazy. They need to get their act together. Uh, next year is Florida and in Florida Atlantic Sanford and Pittsburgh. Then they start playing. They start rotating games with North Carolina and Georgia tech Louisville. They're at Texas in 2023. Yeah. That's not strong enough either. Yeah. All right. No, All right. Let's fire. Let's fire Charlie. Don't think it matters. It's saving. Um, but wait, wait, wait. In any, any one of these three schools, how long does it take before he's undefeated? Cause he has to be undefeated. Right. And I think that's, that's why I'm sticking to those and not saying he could, he could do it at like Tulane or something, because uh, like, I think it would take a school with a decent amount of recruiting infrastructure yeah. uh, for him to start building. I mean, he's going to recruit well, no matter what, but he could recruit very well at UCF, at USF, at Florida. I mean, excuse me, at Houston. Um, 
<laughs> all right. Because they're. By pop- the way, all right. Here's your here's your schedule answer that makes me feel better about this. Although I still don't believe he could do it at a G five. Twenty nineteen South Florida's non conference schedule with one to fill is Wisconsin at Georgia Tech and BYU. Um, you would need Kalani Sataki to figure it out immediately, mm-hmm. and you would need Paul Johnson to stick around and just have one of those up uptrending years. Yeah. And then we know what we're getting in Wisconsin. We're going to get like beating Wisconsin would be like beating an eventual 10 win, 11 win team, possibly, you know, a division winner in the big 10. So that's a pretty good resume. Doesn't matter. Saban. Let me flip this around actually. Oh God. What if, what can, what could Nick Saban do in six years at Wake Forest? This is okay. This was the direction that I thought the question was going to head possibly because I automatically wiped the G five off the slate. So I started looking (laughs) at what is the most, what could he get done in terms of like athletic budget, recruiting footprint, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this is the one thing I want to point out before we go any further on low, what we, what we consider low end P fives. Nick Saban is a high maintenance marriage. Nick Saban has had amazing success at three places. We did Michigan state where we didn't know whether or not he would sustain. Well, he, was, he was only good there. He wasn't amazing, but yeah, right. he was good. That's there. fair. Yeah. LSU and Alabama at LSU. He basically didn't even pretty it up, walked directly to the money people, directly to the state politicians, directly to the power brokers in Louisiana and said, you are mismanaging things. You are grossly far behind this is what we have to have, not even need like to, by tomorrow. And then of course at Alabama, he was able to figure out the puzzle of so many people willing to spend and wanting to spend and wanting to be dominant and then just sort of rearrange the chess pieces and the money. And obviously he gets whatever the hell he wants now, but how many places, the reason I, point, I bring all this up is Saban is a guy who truly believes his process is, is successful when he has the reserves right. and the ability and the resources and the financial flexibility to like, you know, change. Uh, if, if there's something that can eliminate his players taking an extra 60 seconds to walk from a film room to a locker room or whatever, he'll like, all right, let's knock down this wall. Let's do this. Da, da. That those are the kind of anecdotes that I've heard for years and years and years. Right. Um, I don't know if I can tell this story. I can't even remember if I can or not. So I'm just going to, I'm going to change the nouns up a little bit. Uh, I had a acting head coach tell me that they found out that uh, some of the, some of the players were stopping by this one uh, eatery place in Tuscaloosa before they would go to off season lifts. It was some of the bigger guys like the linemen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was creating a little bit of a time deficiency in which they could be in there faster before they would change to go lift. And you're talking about a matter of minutes and then Saban noticed the sheer popularity of this place and realized that all these kids were sitting in traffic, just an extra five to 10 minutes. Right, Bill? The following month, the cuisine of that restaurant was, was brought in house to the, to the athletic facility huh. at a substantial cost uh, or substantial to like me and you, not substantial to Alabama. Right. Uh, not substantial at all. And so it became like a line item budget. Um, that's the kind of stuff where, if you're listening to this as a head coach right now, you're probably like dying inside because you know, if you're listening to this and you're any kind of coach or any kind of mid-level administrator, you know how hard it is to move heaven and earth to get these things done. You know, I remember I I was taking a tour of a brand new uh, weight facility at Penn state. And you know, they always give you the tour on these deals. Right. And they're like, Hey, you want to see it? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. We'll go see it. 
because the only cool place is Oregon. It's true. Like, I love a lot of, there's a lot of college programs. I love to visit stadiums, whatever, but like, let me show you the facility. And I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. Like Oregon's is like, it's legit modular spaceship in the pine trees. It's amazing. But at Penn state bill, they built out this amazing new weight room. And then Franklin got hired and there was no like juice bar. Uh, like they call them refueling stations right. where like your strength and conditioning guys are like, Hey, you need, like, oh, this guy needs more salt or this guy needs more protein. And we're like, oh, I don't get into all that. But like, so they knocked out part of a wall of a brand new building. <laughs> this is like a contractor's nightmare. Right, that's kind of stick out there, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about when you yeah. were there? Yeah. You've been there too, right? Yeah. So that like juice bar area or where they can make you any kind of like smoothie that you need for bureau electrolytes or whatever was like attack on at the end. And Franklin had to like kind of swing to get that because it wasn't like they weren't kicking ass yet when, um, you, when they asked for that. So at Alabama, he could, he could pick the phone up tomorrow. This is not hyperbole. Call Greg Byrne and say, we need an entirely new practice facility. Right. And I guarantee you it would get built faster and better and be, be awesomer than anywhere else in the country as fast as he wants it. So when we go back to this silly little question, which I think is a good question, Nick Saban's not going to get all that shit at Wake Forest. Yeah. He's going to have to knuckle down and live with some things. Yeah. And he, he'll get stuff. He, he will get a level of improvement that they currently don't have, but yeah, he's not going to, it's not suddenly going to be Alabama's, I think this is a secret. I, I, I don't, I don't believe in this question because I think that so you Saban think Pep Guardiola and he would only win big at a big time program that can do big time things that he, wants. I think the deficiencies might break his brain. I think because, because there are deficiencies all over mid-level or lower tier P five programs because they're constantly struggling to keep up. They're making do with what they have. They're cutting corners and making exceptions and not doing the most expedient thing for total, you know, robot minded success like Nick Saban has. I don't know if he could, I think it would all rub off. Maybe I'm crazy. Uh, I mean, there is absolutely something to that. I just, I think at some point he would still win. I mean, he would still win a lot of games. Um, right. But what but, I'm saying yeah, is, it, be, but, but the question is national title, right? Just saying. Hmm. So do you want do you, do you do it at Wake Forest? I, I, I lean towards no, but I can't just definitively say no, because he's, he, he's next day, but he'd have six years. It feels like you could still get a lot done. He might, he might freak out and start eating three little Debbie's for breakfast in the morning. What if, okay. Maybe the question is looking at those, those low tier P fives mm-hmm. and figuring out who has the, who could mobilize the most amount of resources minimum enough for him to think he can win a title. Um, I, I know Wake Forest has a really, really small enrollment, but they, they usually have, they have a high, they have like high income earners or as alumni <laughs> or something. I know mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm butchering the nomenclature, but like, I think this is, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think like a school with both a, a decent recruiting area and potential, like a pit, I think he could win enormous amount of games at pit. Um, Wake Forest though is, it's not landlocked exactly, but it's still like, it, it is, it has a ceiling on how big it can grow. Uh, and I think Pitt doesn't, I think they could win like a school like that. He could win big at Anywho, Yeah. I'm That's gonna, a fascinating question. Yeah, I know. I, I'm going to have to think about that one some more. Cause, um, it, Cause it really has changed my opinion of maybe he can't get it done. Maybe it's not just like Nick Saban won national title central Michigan. Like, no, no, maybe he couldn't. Maybe, maybe he can't. <laughs> 
Um, he'd win a Mac title. So, all right. So then here's another one from Lucas Westblade. Now, for some reason, there was like a two day span where we got suddenly got like eight Shea Patterson questions. Um, I don't exactly know what that was about. I don't remember any actual news with Shea Patterson, but uh, we'll, we'll use one from an MSU fan. Uh, Lucas asks, uh, most of the MSU boards are very confused as to why Shea Patterson is getting so much hype. Now, let me just interject. Most of the MSU boards also hate me and my numbers. So, um, cause my numbers don't always sometimes do, but often think that MSU is kind of getting by with smoke and mirrors, uh, changing systems, not super great in games played against tough opponents, uh, et cetera. Add to this, the fact that Lewerke isn't getting much, uh, even though he had a pretty good year, who's wrong here. I had two coaches at Ole Miss tell me that they didn't know Patterson would win the competition in 18 had he stayed. Now, take that for what it's worth. It's an Ole Miss source. Um, <laughs> I think he's got more raw ability and upside than, right. uh, he started than off, Tom Yu. Right. He started off as a massive blue chipper. In his very first game, he looked like Johnny Manziel and brought, led them to a big comeback against Texas A&M. So he kind of he aced the first test there, and that always helps. Um, but as far as like struggling against good opponents, like, yeah, he, he, he torched Auburn. Like he, he was very good against Auburn. He, he destroyed every bad defense he played. Uh, and he basically struggled against Alabama and LSU last year. Uh, and then he got hurt. So, mm -hmm. uh, the sample size of quote unquote, big games or good opponents or whatever, very, very small. Uh, and, and I'm, so I'm not going to really de definitively you know, I'm not going to make any massive judgments there either way. Um, but he was still very good. And, and as you said, Jordan Tom, who comes in and, and does better or does as well, not, you know, he didn't face any good defenses really, uh, except for Miss, even Mississippi States wasn't that great. Um, so uh, it, it's a very incomplete picture, but I think it's safe to say that what we've learned about Mississippi's system, quote unquote, and Michigan system is Ole Miss has a more quarterback friendly system. And so guys, uh, you know, in Michigan, you're going to have to come in, you can win games without great quarterback play, but it's going to be hard to get great quarterback play. Um, I, and, and that, so, I mean, that's kind of like, I'm, I'm not, I'm pretty sure Shea Patterson is going to be good. Not, not Heisman good, but good. Um, and that should be enough to, to lead Michigan to a lot of wins because they already have a, an absolutely ridiculous defense at their disposal. Uh, Lewerke, I I've gone back and forth many, many times on what I actually think about Brian Lewerke. I mean, he was just a sophomore last year, 59% completion rate, 20 to seven TD INT ratio. Um, considering he, his, he, considering he plays in a, in a, a rather stupid offensive system that basically only allows the quarterback to throw on third and nine after two rushes have gained one yard. Considering the degree of difficulty uh, with the Michigan State offensive system, I, he did very, very well to get to a, a you know to, to the numbers he did. But he still only had like a, a one twenty eight pass rating, which just isn't very good. Um, he speaking of big games, he had a sixty nine passer rating against Ohio State last year. Uh, he was third, eighteen for thirty six for just a buck thirty one and two picks. Um, he really. Uh, he, he, he did really well against Northwestern. Uh, he did well against Bowling green and he did well against Washington state. Um, and that was it. Otherwise he was, he was again, playing with a tie, a hand tie behind his back. Cause he only gets to throw on third and long, but he was still only just kind of okay. So I would, I, I feel bad, but I think Shea Patterson's a better quarterback. 
SKP seven, two, five regarding the idea that Dan Mullen, uh, regarding the idea of Dan Mullen recruiting top 30 classes at Mississippi state and making them into top 20 teams. Mm-hmm. Is there any data to back up that it's just as easy to draft recruit? I think he means a top 20 class and make it into a top 10 team. It's probably not. It seems, it seems like it would be incrementally more challenging yeah. with, with as you move up purely due to compression of the teams ahead of you, but it's actually maybe a linear progression. Explain that last part to me. I'm stupid. Well, oh, I think, um, let me pull up the question. I didn't actually have it pulled up. When was that one asked it's in the Reddit 20 oh, hours Reddit. ago? Okay. Um, well, so the long and short here, I'll, as I try to pull up this question, um, the long and short <laughs> so, was that as you get higher up the rankings, it's, it gets harder to move up the rankings. So, uh, you know, the difference between actually what I'm going to do, I'm going to pull. So up it's, the, so what you're saying, it's easier to move from 25 to, f- to 15 and 15 to five. So last year's S and P plus rankings, the difference between number 25 Boise state, they were their Their rating was uh, eight point. It was plus 8.2. So 8.2 points above the average team. Uh, the different, that was number 25, number 50 was Texas at plus 3.7. So there were four and a half points difference between number 25 and number 50. Um, there were four and a half points difference as well between, uh, let's see, number one and number six. So if you improve by two, by four and a half points, you go from 50 to 25, or you go from six to one. So it just, there's, there's just compression. It gets harder to stand out as the higher you go up. And so that alone is going to make it a lot easier to move pretty quickly from the middle, as opposed to moving from like pretty high to high, if that all makes okay. sense. Chris Rowe on Twitter at C R O H E one. Sorry. That was weird. Ask PAPN with coach Nia Matanolo turning down both BYU and Arizona. Does that mean he's a lifer at Navy? And if so, what does that mean for Ivan Jasper? Uh, one correction, Chris, I know he turned down BYU. I think Arizona was sort of a, yeah, Arizona a mess. freaked out when Cal- yes. State said no. So. so Arizona was a messier situation, which I think Nia Matanolo's party or sort of camp was interested. Um, there was also obviously some talk around Oregon state as well. Um, so I think he's, I don't think anybody's alive anymore. Um, no, it's funny. I'm working on this Willie Taggart thing right now where it's like, it's just so crazy and naive sounding where he's like, I want to be here forever. And no one says that they're like, and he's like, I've dreamed of this job and you believe him. And you're like, okay. man, this can't end well, you know, cause just cause <laughs> it can't end well. It's college football. Um, uh, well, first off, Ivan Jasper, I think would be if Ivan Jasper wanted to be uh, a candidate at any other school that's interested in running triple and, could also be a candidate one day to take over at Navy could be uh, probably could have pressed and gotten involved at Georgia Southern or Citadel. Um, I think right now, obviously with coach Jasper's son, um, it makes the most sense for them for, to have continuity and being in Annapolis is a pretty damn good place to be period. Uh, I really like that town, but it's also a very good place to be um, for healthcare. So I don't know, no one's a lifer. And I think, I think Nia Matanolo would definitely, uh, entertain an audience with, with people that are interested in doing that. It may be a program that hasn't run triple before. Okay. Uh, let's go real fast. Um, Oh, Shakar. I, know, I, was, I was saving that one, but it's a good one. Uh, well, it's a good one in that it allows me to say something I want to say. So go ahead. Cool. Shakar Gupta. Take it away, Bill. Uh, ask PAPN coach Heldon and Southern cow often get criticized for the limited number of practices that he conducts in full pads. 
with many people calling him too soft in light of the issues at Maryland. What are your thoughts on this? Not just the UNC, sorry, USC, but in general. Um, so first things first, like I, I've been avoiding most of these questions simply because I don't want, I don't want it to ever seem like, you know, whether a fan is truly doing this or not, you read a question like that and you can very clearly start to think like, Oh, you're, so you're trying to say your school's better than Maryland. Then they're like, I, my, my school does it right. You know, we go down that line and it's kind of gross. So I've been avoiding those questions for the most part, but I wanted to read this one just because, um, the Ivy league piece that I put out last week, which you didn't read, um, one of the things they talked about was like, they've, they've tried to take the lead from a player safety standpoint and mm-hmm. all this improvement that I've that we've been talking about in the stats and watching them and all this stuff happened as they basically like, I think Dartmouth was first. I think the whole Ivy league does it now. Like you will not get tackled in practice ever. Um, like the, the hits, the, the, the practices themselves are, are less physical than football practices have ever been. And yet mm-hmm. the league is improving dramatically. League, the player health is improving. Um, and so I, I just, I think the whole concept of, you know, they're calling him too soft. That's all stupid and ridiculous and Neanderthal and 1950s. Um, I think they're like, you can create a good football team that tackles well uh, and stays healthier by using quote unquote new age practices and you don't need to do the, the blah, 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 hard, soft, blah, blah stuff. So there's that. The other thing I was wanting to mention about this is that, um, uh, and I, so spoiler, I went to Miami for a piece that for a feature you're going to read here in a couple of weeks, not in next week's preview thing, but after like the week after that, before the season starts uh, with it, they're going to be, chunks of audio. It's kind of like, it's an, it's a multi multimedia piece. But, um, one of the things that I talked about with Manny Diaz, when I was there, I talked to Mark Richt. I talked to Manny Diaz. I talked to Mike Rumpf. I talked to Cam Underwood, our state of the U writer. Um, one of the things that, uh, coach Diaz and I talked about was in an environment where you are not hitting as much in practice, where you are like, basically that not necessarily from a hard and hard versus soft standpoint, but you do football is a tough sport and you have to at least kind of figure out the general toughness of your players. And if you can't do that by hitting each other in practice 4 billion times in the off season, then as he put it, like the weight room becomes that much more of a, uh, of an important thing weight room culture and, and being able to judge, you know, how much weight you can put on your back and, and, and push up off the ground. You know, that's that whole area of football and team development and player development is going to become even more important than it was before, because that's where they're going to make a lot of their judgments on how tough you are, how strong you are, et cetera. Um, that gets kind of awkward. You know, while I was in Miami is when Jordan McNair passed away and, um, that it's going to be interesting. I don't, I don't really have a conclusion here. It's just like those two things are going similarly where we got this quote unquote toxic culture and all this, how much a man of you are you stuff and the conditioning and all that. Meanwhile, yeah. condition is probably going to be even more important than it was before. Um, there's nothing definitive yet. I, I do think more, I see more and more coaches moving away from full yeah, I mean, that's practices the game all is the time. Yeah. Um, we can probably d- dive into that at a future date. Let's go out with this one, Bill. Okay. Um, Alex Simon and the Alex reminds me of something really, really fun. It was just an organic growth out of the Sunday show. Uh, it's at Alex Simon 99. God, I hope that doesn't mean you were born in 1999. Cause that's when I graduated high school. Uh, one of my favorite things from last year was the weekly playoff on the S and P plus show. Do you know what he's talking about? Where you and I were like, 
let's make like right now. What's the most favorable playoff? Yeah, exactly. What's the most fun playoff. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Uh, without bat, without basing this on being realistic, but purely on your preferences, aesthetics, quality, uh, preferences slash aesthetics slash quality. Mm. Uh, what's the ideal playoff for this season? Um, okay. So he says we don't have to be realistic without basing this. <laughs> well, on I think realistic. you need to be a little realistic. Otherwise, you know, I want Missouri. Um, um, I got one okay. and maybe I'll change it after I hear yours. Cause you're smarter, but <sighs> shockingly we would, I want a G five. What? And that G five would be Florida Atlantic. Yep. Beating OU, I assume. Of course. Well, yeah. Oh yeah. They're going to have to go undefeated. No doubt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Florida Atlantic. I want Washington. Uh, because I feel like they're the most capable team to uh, all mine's narrative based. Shocking. I'm just, it's, it's all to like push back on certain pockets of fandom and certain pockets of media that I'm tired of hearing that like, you know, the whole, the big, the, or the PAC 12 dead. Uh, so Washington and FAU, um, I think it's time for Scotty to win the big 10 and then therefore go to the, go to the natty. Um, and, uh, since you can't have a, a playoff without an SEC team, I mean, nothing against Bama. Obviously, everyone's sick of them. Um, <laughs> nothing against Bama. Obviously, everyone's sick of them. <laughs> yeah, but I think everyone knows. I mean, look, I, smart, I, I, smart, there's, rational, there's nice people. Alabama fans are like, yeah, I mean, we're really obnoxious. Like, it's, it's getting bad. Um, either in that, in that spot, maybe Clemson, or just because that defensive line is so amazing, or Georgia. Okay. I guess. I'm, I'm surprised. I thought you'd go with Mississippi state. Get your, get your boy more, get our boy Moorhead in there. I thought you said that this had to be rooted in reality. Hey, the preseason top 20. That means it's realistic. But where was Georgia this time last year? Um, so my semi-realistic number one, I, I just mentioned Miami, but I am all for the you becoming the you again. That sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. Cause I haven't gotten to write. Damn, about. It's a good answer. I, I okay. haven't gotten to write about a dominant Miami team yet, uh, at least in the present tense. And so I'm, I, that would be a lot of fun. So give me Miami. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, I guess that kind of, I mean, not that you can't get two from the same conference, but I guess that sort of eliminates Clemson. Give not necessarily. It doesn't necessarily, but for the, I'm going to say it does for this, for these purposes. If you're pulling a G five, it does. Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, since you already played that card, I'm going to try to avoid it and see how fun I can get with a just P five. Uh, even though it's very anti PAPN, give me Miami, give me, um, give me Oklahoma, give me Oklahoma versus Miami. Just straight. Why, why, why do you want Oklahoma in the playoff again? Because I grew up in Oklahoma in the eighties when Oklahoma lost to Miami every single year. And, uh, I'm, I'm in nostalgia mode here. I'm already in nostalgia mode. If I'm talking about Miami being elite, Um, I think you live in nostalgia mode. Keep going. So Oklahoma versus Miami. All right. That's one side straight out of, you know, 1988. Um, and then on the other side, Give me, or if I'm playing the nostalgia card, I should play Penn State too, but that feels kind of obvious. Um, yeah. Yeah, give me Washington. Let me get Jake, Br- Jake Browning's redemption. I, I is, JT Barrett retired, so now I have a new quarterback that I have to defend when talking to his own fans. Um, so give me Washington and give me... My, so what conference am I missing? Who's Washington playing in the semi? Uh, I need a big 10 team or I need SEC. 
an SEC team, right? That little conference that I always forget about. Auburn. Give me freaking Auburn. That sounds fun. So you have a Washington Auburn rematch in the, in Washington, the quarters? Washington Auburn rematch, Oklahoma Miami. Super duper rematch. I have FAU beating Scani. <laughs> and I have Washington beating Georgia. And I have FAU and Washington in the national title. And I think you can flip a coin after that. Hey, I don't care. Butler and a bad UConn team played in the national finals in basketball. So I know the more you create a bracket, the weirder it gets. Um, all right, Bill, we'll be back next week. Uh, a little bit of a change up on content. We still have two shows, same times, all that stuff, but we will uh, inform you accordingly on uh, Tuesday. We'll yeah, see you then. We're, we're going to get weird as we start traveling and the travel begins next week. <laughs>